Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Amen. All right. So last week was Exodus. We divided Exodus into four sections. Remember that? There were two two sections in Egypt, two sections in the wilderness. So in, in Egypt, there was slavery and confrontation. Then they exited. God got them out of there. And there were two sections. We called it liberation and then law and order. So the law was given, or the beginning of the law was given. There's more law this week, and there's more law next week. There's more law the week after that, too. I mean, this Pentateuch is known as the law, so we're covering a lot of law. But the law began in Exodus, and we covered a lot of that. In fact, the end of it was all about the tabernacle. Remember that? So this week, we are talking about the tabernacle a lot. It's very, very important. And it's the foundation for everything here. That was the center of Israel's worship, the Israelites' worship. It was all centered around the tabernacle. So that was introduced last week, and we're going to be camped out there for quite a while this morning. Um, Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. This could be where you fell off in your read through a Bible in the year plan. Everybody makes it through Genesis. Genesis is great. You're already familiar with it. Exodus, also interesting, right? And then you start to, to lose some momentum in the, in the last few chapters of Exodus. I hope that this morning as we cover Leviticus, that you recategorize this book and it becomes something that's alive to you and important to you and interesting to you. So that's, it's not the official goal, but that's sort of my personal goal for this morning. Okay. Um, it, as I said a moment ago, Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. This book is all about holiness. So I chose this passage to put on the screen as you were walking in. It's all about holiness. It's very much connected to Exodus from last week. It's very much connected to numbers that we'll cover next week, but it's different. It's significantly different in that this is not narrative. There's some narrative in here, but Genesis was all narrative, right? Exodus, all narrative. Numbers is primarily a narrative story, the, the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. But here in Leviticus, this is, this is not narrative. It's detailed law, detail after detail after detail. But it is connected. It's building upon what we studied last week, and it's leading to what we'll cover next week. So we are still, you know, the Bible isn't always chronological if you read from Genesis to Revelation. But this stuff that we're covering really is. So even though it's different in that it's not narrative, it is following up directly upon what was covered in Exodus. There's a natural flow from Exodus to Leviticus. In fact, Exodus ends with this statement. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
So the tabernacle section dominates the end of Exodus, and that's how it ends. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled it. So in Exodus, all those details about the tabernacle, how do you build it? What's it made out of? You know, how do you arrange the furniture in it? And then after that was done, it says the glory of the Lord filled it. Okay, detail followed by now God is here. God is with them in the tabernacle. Okay, that's how Exodus ends. Leviticus begins with, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying. Okay, so at this point, they're still in that same part of the Sinai Peninsula. They're in the very southern portion of the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, you can picture that. You know, they went east out of Egypt. This is still technically Egypt, at least modern day, the Sinai Peninsula is part of Egypt. And they moved south, they're in the, the tip where the forks of the Red Sea come up. Okay, so they're still there. They've been there for, we think, many months at this point when Exodus takes place. So they're camped out there, but they've, they've built the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord has filled it, and now Leviticus begins with God speaking to Moses from that spot. Okay. These are just introductory comments setting the stage for the book. The big idea of this, of this book, Leviticus, holiness, as I said before, um, but it gives details of the elaborate sacrificial system and the priesthood. Those two things. Okay, So I'd like you to, to leave this morning and leave every week of this class with a basic outline of the book so that you can find things and you can, in your mind, you know how it's structured. Well, those are the two things from Leviticus, the sacrificial system and the Levitical priesthood. Of course, um, Lord willing, we'll get to this at the end of the hour. Of course, this book is all about Jesus. He is the sacrifice and he is the great high priest. All right, we will come to that again later. Let's dig in and hit the outline, okay? There's our map again. Okay. It's on your handout. It's on the screen up here. Here's the outline as I have structured it. The first section, sacrifice and offerings. The sacrificial system also included offerings, and there's a distinction there, okay? If you're like me, growing up in the church, Sunday school, Christian school, all that stuff, to me, all, after all those years and all that training, it was a failure on my part, but I just saw everything as a sacrifice. But that's not how it is. There are sacrifices and offerings. Anybody, can anybody tell us the difference? Why? Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's basically true. So he said, a sacrifice is something you give because you owe, an offering is something you give. So maybe tithes and offerings, similar concept, maybe. He didn't say that, I'm adding that. Any other thoughts? Difference between a sacrifice and an offering? Mm -hmm. Your is the generosity of your own heart. Yes. Free will. It's out of the, from your heart. Good. Um, 
yeah, that's all true. I, I would add to that, a sacrifice involves the death of an animal. Okay, Your sac a sacrifice is killing and offering that animal or part of that animal to the Lord. And an offering is typically something that did not involve the death of an animal. Okay, all right, so there are sacrifices and there are offerings. Um, this sacrificial system formed the core of Israel's public worship. And interestingly, not much space is given in this book to explaining the significance of the sacrifices. It seems to be taken for granted that the original participants understood the significance of those sacrifices and offerings. This is, this is me and my uh, understanding of things, but I would also say that it wasn't, well, two things. It is so obviously, this whole system is so obviously pointing to something bigger and better that it didn't need to be stated here. It's implied here, it's stated elsewhere. This was also, you know, all about the Levites. And so the purpose of this book is to give those details. Detail after detail after detail. Detailed procedures, long explanations of each step, okay? That's why you got bogged down in your read through the Bible in a year plan, because I'm cutting out all kinds of stuff here. It is detail after detail after detail. Um, but the symbolism is there. It's clear, even if it's not explicitly stated in this book. So the meaning of the sacrifices can be determined. In fact, it's, it's pretty obvious. And two things throughout these four types of sacrifices, um, two things are emphasized. First, sin must be pardoned and removed. Okay? You guys know that. Sin must be pardoned and removed. That's, that's the reason the sacrifices were necessary. Also, lost fellowship with God must be restored and preserved. Okay? Sin must be pardoned and removed, and fellowship with God must be restored and preserved. That's what this, all these sacrifices are about. God is holy, and he won't permit uncleanness in his presence, so a sacrifice must be made, substituting a pure life for a sinful one. God is righteously angry with sinful humans, and sinful humans are hostile toward that holy God. So the atonement, or the reconciling sacrifice, this one here, brought harmony through the removal of sin and guilt. The life of the animal is accepted in place of the life of the sinner. The punishment of death for sin is exacted on the substitute, the animal who died. Of course, the sacrificed animal does not actually remove the sin, but it symbolizes the one who would accomplish that. And one of the main points I want to make is they knew that. They were not in the dark about that. They knew that the, that the blood of the animal didn't actually accomplish it. Okay, so let's talk about each of these sacrifices and the, the progression of them. I might even make some notes on here. So first, there must be atonement. That has to happen first. Okay. After that is consecration. 
we better define that. What is consecration? Mm -hmm. Or it's consecrated, it's, it's like declared holy for the sake of worship to God. Yes, okay, good. AJ, basically the same thing. Okay, yeah, what he said, and I'll just put it in my own words, consecrated means set apart. He mentioned, Nate mentioned holiness. Um, in our context, yes, set, a, set apart to be holy. Consecration is set apart for something, for some purpose. But yes, in our context, for holiness. Okay, so atonement must happen first, then consecration, then fellowship. and then preservation. So each of these sacrifices has a purpose, and a distinct purpose. They're not all the same. Don't think of all of these sacrifices as basically being the same thing. They're not, they're, they're very, very different. Okay, so the burnt offering, the first one there, I said it's for atonement. Um, this is the major sacrifice since it initiates that right relationship between God and man, God and sinners. The animal or the bird, okay, um, I guess animals are birds, so the big, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> these animals had to be without blemish, perfect, pure, okay? You didn't bring the lame one. You didn't bring the one that was born with some defect. You, it, this had to be pure and spotless. The, the animal, the bird, whatever it is, had to be without blemish. And the sacrifice, the offering, included the entire creature with the exception of the skin. So they would skin the animal, and the entire animal made its way onto the altar. Okay? Uh, remember the, the drawing of the tabernacle from last week? This altar is in the, the courtyard of the tabernacle. It's pretty large in size. Some of these animals were big, you know, lambs, that sort of thing. Um, it's bloody, it's messy. This is, the, the wash basin was right behind them to deal with all of the mess and the, the gore of this. So this is that sacrifice. They would skin the animal, kill the animal, and burn the entire animal, burnt with fire, okay? Full of symbolism, full of meaning, I think, you guys understand that. I don't have time to go into all of it. Um, so that's the, that's the burnt offering. This is atonement. Now that the justified sinner has been declared righteous, I'm importing some New Testament theology here, but it was all there in the types and shadows. Okay, once the, the justified sinner has been declared righteous, he gratefully responds by bringing this grain offering. This is the consecration, set apart. His, he's declaring that his entire life is set apart for the Lord. Um, clearly, this Old Testament law and sacrificial system is not physical only. This, this grain offering proves it. They were saying that their entire life not just what they did on that morning, that day, as, as the actual sacrifice. Their entire life was to be set, up, set apart and given to the Lord. 
what was done here in this sacrifice, or this, this offering, I should say. The best grain was carefully selected. Okay, again, the best grain. And then it was sieved, okay, separating the impurities. So you've brought the best grain, and now you've filtered out everything that's not grain. So now it's only the best grain. Oil is poured upon it, mixed in. So now you have a pasty, dough-like substance. Oil is poured upon it. Incense is sprinkled, okay, to just a small amount of that mixture. So you have the grain, you have the oil, it's all mixed up. They would pull out part of that and sprinkle incense on it. And then it was burned. So there would be an aroma. It would be like bread baking and mixed with the incense. Okay, this, this was the grain offering. And then the remaining oil and flour uh, was, was given to the priests as food. So they would bake that and eat that and it was nourishment for the priests. This is the grain offering. And again, it, it was consecration, setting apart that person who is newly declared righteous by God. That relationship is restored, and now he's saying, Lord, you have all of me. All of my life is given to you, set apart for you. Okay, so the sinner is justified. The forgiven sinner has responded with wholehearted devotion. And now the benefits of that fellowship can be experienced. So the third offering is the peace offering. This is another animal sacrifice. Even I'm, as I hear myself speaking, I'm conflating sacrifice and offering. There's not a firm distinction, but there are these two aspects of it, okay? Um, another animal sacrifice, but unlike the burnt offering where the entire animal is burned, okay? The entire animal burned with fire. In the peace offering here, only the fat is burned with the kidneys. I don't understand the kidneys, but the engineering part of my mind wants, like, if we're going to do fat, let's do fat. But they threw in the kidneys, <laughs> and I don't know why. But that was the plan. So it's not the entire animal. It's only the fat and the kidneys. The rest of the flesh and organs are cooked and eaten by the priests and the people. Remember, in the, in the grain offering, the priests were nourished by the leftovers, the remains. Here, in the peace offering, it's everybody. It's the priest. So you presented your offering, and the priest, the priest administered it. And then you have the rest of this animal, and everyone enjoys it. Everyone is nourished by it. It's a feast of sorts. Okay? So you've been justified. You've said... All my life belongs to you, Lord, and now you enjoy the fellowship of being at peace with God. The fourth and fifth sacrifices, I lump them together here. These are, I would call them maintenance sacrifices. So, the right relationship with God is established, but sin will still be committed, right? Of course, sin will still be committed. Um, this offering is the basis of restoration. So rather than wait for the big periodic burnt offering, that first one, you can't do that every day, right? You can't do that every time you sin. Rather than wait 
for that to come around again, there would be these sin and trespass offerings. These would restore the relationship with God for people who are already reconciled to God. This would maintain that relationship. The main difference between a sin and a trespass offering is in the offended party. Okay, so idolatry is a sin against God. Breaking, violating the Sabbath law was a violation against God, right? Idolatry, working on the Sabbath. Lying to your mother is a sin against her. A, a trespass. So sin is maintaining that relationship with God. Trespass is with your neighbor, with your family. Okay? And they brought, they restored those relationships. Uh, the trespass offering also included compensation for the damage done against the one you sinned against. Okay? All right, those are all the sacrifices and offerings. Thoughts or questions about that? Okay, the second section is the priests. Now, this is the second main theme of the book, the priesthood, this hereditary priesthood that was introduced last week in Exodus. The priests represented God to the people and the people to God. Exodus gave Moses a lot of instructions for anointing the sons of Aaron. Lot, lots of instructions about the priesthood. These instructions were elaborate, they were detailed, um, and they instilled into the minds of everyone the, the holiness of God, the spotless purity of the Lord. Okay, that's all from, that's all from last week. The idea was no one was to rush carelessly into the presence of the Almighty. No one could, be, no one could approach without being thoroughly washed, without wearing the spotlessly clean garments that the priests would wear, the uniform of the priests. Um, no one could approach God without the provision of an appropriate sacrifice. That was the reason for all of this setting apart of the hereditary priesthood in Exodus. Okay. Now, here in Leviticus, we have all the details of it. But that was the idea from last week, is you, people could not just approach this holy God. They needed the priests. The priests were set aside for that purpose. They were necessary. Okay, so they were anointed with oil. They were given special garments. And it linked these men with the tabernacle. It was the the. The setting apart of the priests was given intermingled with the section of the tabernacle. So God was tying those together as bo both being exclusively for the service of God. So no one could approach haphazardly without attending to all those details. You couldn't bypass the priests and do it on your own. You couldn't add your own creativity to the process. Okay, all the details given here in Leviticus, I mean, I, I don't have time to read it, but you've, you've seen this section in Leviticus. All these details had to be followed perfectly. 
You, no creative license, no embellishments, no adding to it, no matter how keenly you, f you felt about it, you couldn't write a song and you know, add the song to this, even if you really meant it from the depths of your heart. Couldn't do this. You, you had to follow the, the, the instructions precisely, exactly. So maybe you wrote your own vows at your wedding. That's fine. I don't, uh, that's one thing. But you didn't do that when it came to the sacrifices and offerings. You didn't write your own liturgy. You did it God's way. The priests had a very solemn responsibility, okay? I can't emphasize enough, there were a ton of details in this section, chapter after chapter in here with all of those details. And then after that, one of the only sections of narrative in the book of Leviticus follows that, and it's the story of Nadab and Abihu. You guys are familiar with the story of Nadab and Abihu? Okay. Right after all of those details about the Levitical priesthood and how people were to approach God, never deviating at all, there was, we're given the story of Nadab and Abihu. These were sons of Aaron, okay? The very beginning of this new Levitical priesthood, sons of Aaron took their censers. You guys know what a censer is? Yeah, it's... Um, my understanding is it's a pan. Now, people, in, when I taught this eight weeks ago, a couple people were thoroughly convinced that it was that ball that is lit with incense. And I think that's, that's, I think that's a modern. That is what the Catholics do And they call it that. Yeah, I, okay, good. You guys know more than that last group. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they took their censers and they made a fire and they put incense on it. Was there a problem using a censer in worship? If you've read Exodus and Leviticus, there's no problem there, right? That was an official piece of, of that was a tool. It was, it was given for that purpose. So no problem there. Was there a problem burning incense? No. Incense was used. There was the altar of incense inside the tabernacle. So what was their transgression? Fire. Strange fire. We're not given any other details, but what we know is they didn't do it right. They didn't follow those instructions perfectly. They did something and it was strange. So what was their punishment? Yes. It was very dramatic. Okay. God is holy. You worship God the way he has prescribed. That's the, that's the idea here. That's why we're given that story of Nadab and Abihu right after all the details about how this is supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to work, and when it doesn't, you will be consumed. You worship God the way he has prescribed. In chapter 10, it says, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So the role of the priests was solemn. 
The priests were appointed by God to protect his honor, his glory, and to promote his holiness among the people. And they achieved this through their personal example, their meticulous service. Um, the section tells us that their, one of their main responsibilities was to teach. Okay, so they, they taught the people, they led by example, they administered the sacrifices and they taught. This is the priesthood. Okay, those are the two main sections of Leviticus, all the sacrifices and offerings and the Levitical priesthood. Now, uh, this is chapter 11 here, these laws of purity. Uh, these are still about holiness. This whole book is about holiness. Um, but here in these laws of purity, it's demonstrated in, in very physical ways. So holiness and God's people involved their physical bodies, not just, uh, holiness wasn't just spiritual in their head. It involved, the, it involved their bodies. And the law made distinctions with food. You guys know this. There's clean fish versus unclean crustaceans. Clean goats versus unclean pigs. Clean, unclean. Everything, there's, everything is divided. There's clean on the one side, unclean on the other side. The law made distinctions with, with food. There were hygiene laws, okay? Clean and unclean. The process of childbirth was unclean, so there were directions for purification, okay? It's unclean. It's great. It's unavoidable, but clean and unclean. So there had to be provision for um, restoring purity, for purification. There's a ton of stuff in this section about leprosy. Okay, where can you go? Who can you touch? How do you diagnose leprosy? Lots of stuff in here about leprosy. Um, what about a house or a building where a leprous man passed through? All those details are given here. So you had clean, because of that, you had clean and unclean buildings. If, if I'm leprous and I come to your house or I pass through the marketplace, I'm spreading my uncleanness. So there were now unclean, there were clean and unclean buildings, clean and unclean clothing, clean and unclean tools and utensils, all the things you, you need to, to operate your life, to cook, to, all the stuff, you know, clean and unclean food, clean and unclean spaces, clean and unclean people, clean and unclean things, okay? Because of this, God's people were forced every day faced with the issue of clean or unclean. In preparing meals, the dominant question would be, is this kosher? Is it clean? Not, is it tasty? Is it overcooked? Is it undercooked? The issue, the dominant issue is, is this clean or unclean? Can I or can I not eat it? Okay, um, is it permitted or is it forbidden? Um, it wasn't, this, by the way, wasn't a question of nutrition. Don't listen to anyone who tells you that these kosher laws really were just God wanting his best for the people and he was teaching them how to be healthy. That's not, that, I don't know what else to say. It's just not true. If you read the book, 
that it doesn't have that feel at all. This is not about nutrition. This is about God making a distinction. I'm not saying it was arbitrary either. God has his reasons for it, but I don't think it had anything to do with nutrition. It was God teaching his people that there's a distinction between my people and those outside the covenant. There's a distinction between everything in life. So every day they were faced with this clean, unclean. The holiness in the people of God involved and involves pure food, pure bodies, pure homes, and pure habits. That's what's in this section, the laws of purity. Good? Okay, Day of Atonement, fourth section. The sacrificial system was central to worship and at the heart of that sacrificial system is this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is where the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. Okay, that one day a year, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This is the only time when fasting was required. This was a solemn day of reflection. All the other uh, special days, and there are many special days on the Jewish calendar, all those other special days were feast days. They were for feasting. This was more solemn. This was the one day that involved fasting. And the priest, the high priest, I should say, would enter the Holy of Holies with the rope tied around his ankle in case things went bad. We talked about this last week. This is that day. This is the Day of Atonement. So there was a real sense of seriousness, but that's not the whole thing. With, we don't have the, have the time to read this section. I wish we did because I think if we read it together, you would see that, yes, the solemnity is there. It's a very solemn thing, but that's not the whole thing. There was also a triumphant note to this. because the Lord had provided a means for forgiveness. You see, this is, in the Old Testament law, this stuff is always mingled together. I can't overstate how harmful it's been to the church um, to, to make this distinction between law, grace, between, I'm not totally against law, grace distinction, hear me, but Old Testament bad, New Testament good. Old Testament God angry, New Testament God merciful and gracious. The grace was here in the Day of Atonement. And when you read this section, you have the solemnity, but you also have triumph because God has, has promised and made a way for atonement. It's, it's both of those things. So this was the high point of all the sacrifices all the, the section one stuff. This Day of Atonement was the high point of all of it. This one was comprehensive. Here in this sacrifice, there was the, this Day of Atonement, there was provision for any and every sin. Okay, and this takes up a, a, significant, a, a couple chapters here in Leviticus. So I gave it its own its own section on the outline because I think it's so important. It's not a long section, but 
it's important. Okay, the last, I'm not sure I'm doing a great job on time management today, but um, this last section, holiness, God's people are to ensure holiness in all of life. They're to separate themselves from the practices of foreign nations. This section can seem a lot like the purity laws there in section three. It seems a lot like that, the clean versus unclean stuff, but it's a little different. This section is about lifestyle, okay? It's telling the Israelites how they are not to even appear as the pagan nations. The way they go about their lives is to be different, distinct, set apart, holy. They're not to be like their neighbors. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you into the promised land and you're going to be surrounded by people who are living their lives differently. You are to be set apart beyond clean and unclean, but just the way they go about their business, the way they go about their family life, all of that is to be separate. Um, In in the section, there are more dietary restrictions going beyond clean and unclean. Um, So not only are some things off limits, but God is setting them apart in in the way that they eat so that they look different from the pagan nations. So this, this was for their good. It kept them from participating in idolatrous feasts. It reminded them that their daily food was provided by God. There's more symbolism. There's more deep significance in here that we don't have time for, but it's, it's there. These, these rules and restrictions are all about holiness and how they're set apart. They were to be distinct in their sexual practices, okay? Not like the pagan nations. So here's where you have things dealing with incest and homosexuality, that sort of thing. And this was for everybody. This was, I know Leviticus pertaining to the Levites, but this section is about everybody. And then throughout this section, the Levites were then, the Levites had to be extra. They had to abide by all the stuff, but more so to a greater degree, more set apart, more holy. Um, Their laws were more strict so that they would be more set apart than than the other tribes. The laws concerning defilement for them were more rigid, more strict. And then in the section at the end of the book, there are more commands regarding the feasts and other special days, that sort of thing. This is Leviticus. This This is a summary of Leviticus. So, I don't even need to point out how everything here is a shadow of something to come. Namely, it's all about Jesus. Exodus was full of types and shadows, right? Remember that from last week? I think that was fascinating to look, look at. And there were types and shadows of a variety of things. In Leviticus, it's all about Jesus. Always, everything in this book is about Jesus. So really, this is like Old Testament Hebrews, or maybe it's more accurate to say Hebrews is a New Testament Leviticus. We studied Hebrews last year as a church, right? And in small groups, most of you were probably part of that. Maybe as I went through this, you were thinking of Hebrews and remembering back to some of what we studied last year um, from that book. 
I think the way Hebrews is, is structured, you know, Jesus is better than this, Jesus is better than that, and the large portion of Hebrews talks about how Jesus was better than the priests. He was better than those sacrifices. I think that the entire structure of Hebrews suggests that this was not a new idea to these people. I think they knew this. They knew it in shadowy ways. They didn't understand the details like we do, but they knew that these laws were about something bigger and greater than, uh, than the, merely the physical. All right, in the last two minutes, I want to ask a question. If this is all abolished, this entire Levitical system is all abolished, and it is, right? I'm sorry, I didn't mention that until, until now at the very end, but this entire, uh, the outline's gone, this entire system is gone, never to come back. It's been abolished. Jesus, it was always about Jesus, and when he came, he fulfilled it. So this is done. So what do we do with the rest of it? Is it helpful to us? Is it important to us? Well, yeah, it's about holiness, and so we learn a lot about it. We also can praise and worship Jesus because of it, knowing that he, that he fulfilled all of it, that he was the fulfillment of all of it. Um, I think we learn a lot about holiness by studying this book, though. People today are uncomfortable with the severity of the, of the law, the severity of the punishments, the restrictiveness of all of these laws. They're, people today are uncomfortable with what they consider the trivial character of some of the laws in this book. Minor little details, okay? But they teach us about God's holiness, and it's significant for that reason alone. Um, worship. I think this book though the system is obsolete, teaches us a lot about worship. We're approaching the same God this morning, okay? Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of it, but don't we learn a lot by understanding that the people had to go through the priests and they had to, to attend to every detail? Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He's the great high priest, and there will never be more sacrifices. But if we're approaching the same God, why do we think, I, I believe we think that because we have Jesus as our great high priest, that we can approach God however we like. Jesus didn't die for us so that we could just be haphazard in our worship and approach God on our own terms however we want. That, that thinking is so pervasive in our society. People don't go to church because they can just do it their own way. They don't need to do it the way God has prescribed. I don't think that follows what we're learning here from Leviticus. And I don't think Jesus being the fulfillment of that makes any of it less significant or um, it doesn't make God any more loose than he was then. He has been gracious in making a way for us to approach him. And the Levitical priesthood is gone. But it doesn't, there's, there's no reason to think that that, that that makes it less significant for us. Um, I'm out of time, but I really do want to read um, 
from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, New Testament, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore, having these promises, this, this is following chapter 6, section on holiness, okay? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the, the outcome of this Levitical system being fulfilled in Jesus doesn't negate the teaching in this book about holiness. Paul was explicit there in 2 Corinthians. So yes, it's gone, but we learn a lot, I hope, by studying it. That's it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your attention and your comments and your thoughts. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.